A reading from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the 5th verse. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked Him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And He said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in My name and say, I am He, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your souls. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside the city must leave it, and those out in the country must not enter it. For these are days of vengeance as a fulfillment of all that is written. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken." Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have done a horrible thing to myself. You know, I don't use one of these very often manuscript thing, and I brought it up here. And now I don't know what to do with it. What if we just take the risk and leave that alone? Y'all with me? Can you endure a horrible sermon if I don't use it? Just say, we've heard one before, David. (laughs) 
So here's the thing. Jesus has these people in the temple, and the temple was the very, 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 very center of their faith. Not only literally and metaphorically, but kind of geographically. It's up on the hill right there in the most important part of Jerusalem. And it's a concentric organization of rectangles. An outside rectangle, an inner rectangle, another inner rectangle. Until you got to the point where there was a little tiny square inside all the rectangles. Remember those little Russian dolls that you put one inside the other, another inside the other? That's a good way to think of the temple. And all the way at the very inside of the temple, at the very littlest hole, that was called the Holy of Holies. And once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one person could go into that room and one person only, and that was the only day they could go into that room at risk of death. So the legend grew that that person would have a rope tied to his leg when he went in, so in case he did something wrong, they could pull him out because he was in the presence of God. You see, they believed that central room was the intersection of heaven and earth. That was the place where the glory of God came down and sat on the Ark of the Covenant. That was the place where God dwelt. And it was separated from everything else in the temple by a great curtain that was so heavy that it took multiple people to move it. Y'all with me so far? I couldn't go back to the paper now if I had to, so say yeah. <laughs> that place was the geographic center of everything that mattered in their lives. And they've walked into it. They've been listening to Jesus preach there in the temple. He just finished telling them about the widow who brought two mites, who brought two coins and put them in the offering and how she had given more than everyone else. They've been listening to Him teach there and they're suddenly overwhelmed by the beauty of it. And what does Jesus tell them? It's going to be torn down in a few years. Get yourselves ready. Things are about to change. Funny thing is, many Bible teachers have made a fortune off of interpreting all of this about the end of the world and stuff to scare people into loving Jesus. I mean, really, can you scare anybody into loving Jesus? You might be able to scare people into being afraid of Jesus. But these things that Jesus was talking about, Jesus was telling them, they're about to happen now. It's all coming now. And in 66 AD, the Jews revolted against Rome. They had had enough. And Emperor Vespasian came and put his foot down on that revolt like a cockroach. And crushed it. And the Roman soldiers came and they made fires around the bottom walls of the temple. And they heated up the marble and the, the uh, well, marble's close enough, limestone. And to the point that the little air pockets in it got so hot that they exploded. And when the little air pockets in the limestone got so hot that they exploded, the foundation crumbled and the whole thing fell. And now the only thing that's left is the western wall. It's what you see in pictures. Everything else has been re rebuilt. Jesus was telling him, this thing that you value so much is about to be torn down. Your sacred cows, he's saying, are in trouble. Y'all know what a sacred cow is? Anybody? It's holy beef. <laughs> That's a pretty good answer. Sacred cow is an idiom we use for something that somebody is so devoted to that they won't hear any criticism about it at all. We say that that thing is a sacred cow in that person's life. And the temple at the time of Jesus had become a sacred cow for the people. 
They honored the temple sometimes more than they honored God. And over and over, Jesus had taught them not to do that. It had kind of assaulted that belief. Because Jesus knew something about Himself that they didn't realize yet. You see, one day, Jesus went to the temple, and when He got there, people were selling all kinds of things in it. They had turned it into a yard sale. And they were cheating people. They were taking more than they were supposed to for the money that they were exchanging. Because the people couldn't use the Roman coins in worship. So they came to exchange the Roman coins for their coins and they could use those in worship. But the people were cheating them. And so Jesus got mad and He sat down and He made a whip of cords. Remember that story? And He ran all the animals out of the temple. And then He chastised the people and said, You've made My Father's house a den of robbers. And the people who were the professional religious people of Jesus' day, they got upset with Him, you think? They got upset. What if somebody came in here, sat down, made a whip, and ran y'all out of here? I'd have words for them, wouldn't I? So they had words for Jesus. They said, hey, what kind of sign are you giving us that you do this? In other words, what the heck do you think you're doing? And Jesus looked at him and said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Remember hearing that in Sunday school? Tear down this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And you know what John tells us? He said that when Jesus said that, He was talking about Himself. See, Jesus knew something about Himself that we would learn when He was raised from the dead. He, not the temple, is the true intersection between heaven and earth. And because He has come, the temple is no longer needed. And so Jesus predicts its destruction. So that the people would not continue in their devotion to the temple, but be devoted to the one who is the true intersection of heaven and earth. Jesus of Nazareth. The one whom we say was fully God. Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of Mary. The one who took on our form and died our death and was raised so that we can be raised to new life. So that our lives don't become sacred cows. Things that we're devoted to above everything else. The number one idolatry that people fall into is putting themselves first. Did you know that? A lot of people will say it's gold, and that's a pretty good guess. Because the sacred cow thing always makes me think of that story when Moses has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he gets them to Mount Sinai, and he says, Y'all stay here, i got to go see God. Remember that? And he goes up the mountain to speak with God because God is going to give Moses a covenant to make with the people. It's what we get the Ten Commandments from. I've asked y'all before if you've seen that, that movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and y'all all said no. So I'm not going to ask you. But in that movie, Charlton Heston comes down, Moses, and he sees a golden calf. Anybody remember that? Awesome. Your memories have improved. <laughs> While Moses was up on the mountain receiving the covenant that God was giving for him to make with God's children so that they could know how to live with God and how to enjoy something better than what they had had in Egypt. They turned their eyes back to Egypt and said, Moses is gone. We got some gold, Aaron. Will you make us a God? And so he made them a sacred calf. A sacred cow made out of gold. You know, we're, I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but we're entering an election season. Yeah, right? It's happening. There's some stuff going to happen next winter. We're all going to go to the polls and start voting. And do you know what will happen is immediately after the votes are tallied, the number one question will be, how will Wall Street interpret this? 
We still struggle with those same sacred cows. We still want to worship the beauty of the building. We still want to worship the beauty of ourselves, the beauty of the earth. We want to worship everything that points to God instead of paying attention to God. It's a distraction for us. It's something to do with our sinful nature that we're drawn inward. Martin Luther said we like looking at our navel. We're turned in on ourselves. And Jesus knows that there's something better and that all those things that are sacred cows for us, whether it's our portfolios, our 401k, our homes, boat, fishing reels and rods, all of those things that we value so much eventually will mean nothing. Get this, he said, you're going to be arrested for my name's sake. Are you willing to go to jail for Jesus, church? He said, your family might hate you because you love me. Sometimes we cling so hard to the things of this life that we can't enjoy the something better that Jesus is offering us. Not some pie in the sky by and by heaven later, but right now, there's something better right now. There's something better than living for yourself. There's something better than being afraid of everything. There's something better than trusting money, fame, sex, power, or pride with your life. There's something better than being absorbed with yourself and it's being a slave to Jesus. Being in a relationship with God. There's something better than whatever it is distracts you from being who you truly are, which is a child of God. How many of you have a favorite place? Anybody? You can just raise your hand. You have a favorite place in the world? Some place you like to go? You're going to leave me hanging. I'm going to raise my hand. Make everybody uncomfortable. You know, we're going to the Presbyterian church to preach in a couple weeks. Y'all know that, right? Going to go wake them up too. (laughs) Do you know of a place that you love? Can you picture it for a moment? It's going away. Everything that is now will pass away so that there can be new, a new heaven and a new earth, a new life, and everything will be as exactly as God intends it, not broken down by sin and death. I'll give you an example. There's a place I love. It's off of Highway 97 between Great Falls and Liberty Hill, South Carolina. Liberty Hill actually has a post office. That's all it has, but it's there. Right off the side of that road used to be the most beautiful hardwood you have ever seen filled with all kinds of hickory nut and walnut trees that would glow glow like the sun shining on a pool of water on an October day. I would be so moved by that place. I love to go there. Every Saturday morning, the ritual was my dad would get me and my brother up. We'd pile into the truck and we'd ride down Highway 21, take a left, take a right on 97, go down 97, pull off the side of the road and go hunting as we called it. Pitifully few deer in that place, but it was beautiful. And the things that I remember about that trip are interesting. Number one, since we got up early, my brother and I sat and stared at my dad. We didn't dare go to sleep because my dad would doze while he was driving. (laughs) So we didn't dare think we're going to go to sleep where we take a nap before we get to the woods. That wasn't going to happen. And we would get there and we would walk in and we'd go to wherever we had put a tree stand out. We had prepared for that. We had gone scouting. Y'all know what that means? You walk around and look for deer poop in the woods and stuff like that. Because you know deer are there. 
One day we were doing that. And we were walking along this ridge, about three quarters of the way up the ridge. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. We went around the point of the ridge. It kind of came out like this, and then it flattened out a little bit. And on that flat little knoll was the beautiful, most beautiful dogwood tree I've ever seen that was also the most ugly dogwood tree I've ever seen. Y'all know how they are, right? Got ugly trunks, but in the spring they're glorious. This thing was a dogwood tree that had three little branches that kind of danced with each other as they went up twirling around each other. It was kind of ugly in the, in the summer. And as we were walking by it, my dad just kind of nonchalantly pointed at that tree and said, I was saved under that tree. I had never known until that moment what that patch of woods meant to him. But then what I found out is that place was a temple. That that was a place where his life had intersected with God's life and it had become holy. And from then on, man, that place was holy for me. Because the thing that you think about when you hear that your dad gave his life to Christ, man, if my dad needs Christ, I need Christ. I've never forgotten that and I never will. But just a few years later, maybe just two years later, sometime after Hurricane Hugo, some folks who lived in North Carolina decided they would lease that property and hunt it themselves. And it was no longer public and we couldn't go anymore. And a short time later, logging trucks showed up and they cut down every pine tree, every oak tree, every dogwood tree. And they turned it into a big, brown, miserable mud puddle. And every time I drove by it, I had this deep sense that my temple had been torn down. And I think I knew what these people felt when Jesus said, one day this will all be gone. But you know what didn't get torn down? My dad's relationship with Jesus. The temple was gone, but the relationship is eternal. That place was a little bit of a sacred cow for me, and maybe it needed to be torn down. Maybe it needed to be torn down so I could realize that my relationship with Christ goes everywhere. That it's not limited to the sanctuary at Main Street United Methodist Church, which burned down. It's not limited to the sanctuary at Swansea United Methodist Church. It's not limited to the sanctuary at Adna. It's not limited to the woods off of Great Falls or the woods that I hunt in now where I have prayed I don't know how many hours for myself and for you. They can tear that stuff down. And the world will. When the world finds what's valuable and meaningful for you, it will shift it underneath your feet to try to steal your faith. It is the devil's favorite game. But dear ones, there's something better than all that stuff anyway. And it's the relationship with Jesus. There's something better than your 401k or your popularity or your fame or your likes on Facebook or Instagram. There's something better than your wealth and your home. There's something better even than the love of your family. And it's the love of your God who created you. But when we elevate those other things above Him, 
We separate ourselves from the joy of that love. When we live for ourselves, God's love becomes a burden to us. When we ignore the hurts and needs of others, God's love can become a burden to us. But when we allow Christ to enter our life and shape and change and mold us, God loves, God's love becomes infinite freedom and infinitely something better than anything we could have ever hoped for. Jesus said some scary things in that text. And as I told you before, there are a lot of preachers who make a lot of money scaring people with that passage. But what I see in it is Jesus warning us not to love the places where we meet God more than we love God. Not to love the things that are in front of our eyes. Not to love the things that we hold with our hands and even ourselves more than we love God. For all of it will pass away, but God will not. They may tear down your holy place, but they cannot tear down the God who met you there. And they cannot destroy your relationship with Jesus. He calls us to something better. To a totally different way of life. To a life that's transformed by His own giving of His own self for us. It would seem very odd that we would then value ourselves more than Him. There's something better than whatever you are struggling with. Whatever hurts or chaos runs through your life, whatever doubts you have, whatever self-doubt you have, whatever it is in you that you hate or dislike, whatever it is in your neighbor that you hate or dislike, there is something better. There's a life free from all of that. A life free from fear. One of my favorite writers, Justo Gonzalez, says that Christians don't like this text very much because it tells us that we're too attached to the world, to the things of the world. And we depend on the things of this world to give our lives meaning. And if you've lived in this world for more than five minutes, you know he's right. That all too often we depend on other things to give our lives meaning instead of God. But dear ones, a life lived for Christ is the something better that you are promised. There is nothing better than knowing Jesus. Well, you might say, but wait a minute, preacher, what about that heaven thing? Well, I'll give you that one, but I'll invite you to remember that Jesus said eternal life is knowing God and knowing Him. Maybe this week we could all take a sober look at what we're investing ourselves in. Take a sober look at what we're allowing to have control of our thoughts. Take a sober look at what it is that we fear. And then take hold of the something better. Trust the promise of Jesus that He returns. You see, at about the point that he had them shaking in his sandals, he said the word then. He said, then you will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud in glory, right? 
And he said, when you see that, stand up and raise your head for your redemption is at hand. Did you notice he didn't say your destruction? Your redemption. Don't be afraid of the return of Christ. Embrace it with hope. Let it give your life meaning and know that even as you face chaos in this life, Christ is with you. Don't be afraid. Your redemption is at hand, church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.